Decorating Pages is a podcast dedicated to taking you behind the scenes of the designs of your favorite TV shows and films. Each episode, I'll be sharing design stories from some of Hollywood's most famous sets, interviews from set decorators, production designers, directors, and actors about creating the look of TV and film, about their design inspirations, and stories that take sets from page to screen. On this episode, we will be talking with director Beth McCarthy Miller. Beth is one of the most versatile directors working in TV today. She bounces from single camera shows to live TV performances and stand-up comedy specials. She started out directing in MTV spots and then moved for an 11-year gig directing on Saturday Night Live. She directs mostly half-hour comedies, uh, 30 Rock, Modern Family, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Divorce, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Veep, Parks and Rec, The Good Place, so many more. Uh, She's directed comedy shows like Bill Maher, David Tell, Jim Norton, D.L. Hewley, Bob Saget. Live performances such as the Super Bowl halftime shows with Britney Spears and Aerosmith and the famous Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake, Nipplegate halftime show. She has 31 nominations, including 11 Emmy nominations and 11 wins, including multiple Directors Guild and Cable Ace Awards, Golden Derby, Gracie Allen, Online Film and Television Awards. She, she's it. She's had such an amazing career and is in no signs of stopping. She's amazing. I first met Beth on Parks and Rec Season 6, the Galentine's Day episode which now blows my mind that a TV show has a part in an unofficial holiday to celebrate women. It's, it's near and dear to my heart. I remember looking her up when I got the director's schedule and it physically made me sit back in my chair because I am a huge Saturday Night Live fan. I boast that I have not missed an episode since the late 80s. Um, and I, I'm very proud of that. Uh, Beth is one of only four directors in the run of the whole show and the only female of those directors. The comedy that she has been a part of, in my opinion, is legendary. Other projects that she directed that she probably doesn't know how much it influenced my generation, or, I, I guess she does, but uh, MTV's Unplugged specifically, Nirvana Unplugged. I watched it so many times. I, I it was a staple of where I was. I was in high school and it was just the perfect time for that music in my life um, and so many others. She directed six of the Unplugged series, Tony Bennett, Stone Temple Pilots, Neil Young. I'm super lucky to have worked with her. She's an inspiration and um, of just a really nice person. So I hope you enjoy this. Thank you so much for doing this. I would do anything for you, Kim. No. Um, because I have such a crush on you. Girl crush right no. back at you, girl. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you are directing episode seven of season four of The Good Place right now, and we have a late call, so you're nice enough to come in a little early for me and do this. I'm very excited, and it's going to be a, a delightfully long night, so... <laughs> 
You get really interesting episodes, the ones that I feel like I see you. I've done a lot of parties. A lot of parties. A lot of big stuff. Um, I do get really fun episodes of this yeah. show. Yeah. And um, I think any episode of this show is an absolute treat, but it's I have fun. gotten some pretty, you know... I, I have dodged the multiple Janet episodes, which I think must good. be only, a technical nightmare. Only Morgan Sackett will I know. take that on. That, um, sh- that episode got sacketed. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's an absolute thrill and honor to work on something of such high quality. And, that, and it's fun. Oh, we have so much fun here. And such it's a great crazy. group and Mike of people. Sure is- Mike sure is the man, and then everybody else from, you know, number one and two on the call sheet down. I mean, Ted and Kristen are delights. All the writers are amazing. It's just a, it's a nice place to go to work. And the good I, place. Yes, it is the good place. And also, I'm getting to that point where I'm 55, and uh, I like to go to places where I like to go to work. Yeah. You know, I'd yeah, rather work on something that's good quality and uh, a good experience and really a fun experience to be at than be on the number one most right. amazing downloaded unbelievable show ever if it's not a, a pleasant experience. Yeah. It's not worth it. To me it is. It's in that life's too short category yeah, now. It is. It I have found that when I've followed the money, yeah. I've been miserable. Yeah. When I followed, like, oh, the little passion project or, like, oh, that'll be good. It's good people. It's it's the better time in my life. I also found earlier in my career when I did that, those um, experiences reaped different rewards. It's something like this little project that you did because you thought it was smart and funny, and then five years later, the person that wrote it was like, oh, my God, I have this new big show, right. and right. I loved you, and can you come work on it? Right. So I find that, you know you really always have to go with your instincts because um, because at the end of the day, what do you have? I mean, you, you want to come home happy every yeah. day after work. And, and you tired. Exactly. <laughs> tired. you got to be happy. happy <laughs> not torturing your family because you've yeah. had a terrible day on set. Yeah. And it's a, it's a lot of pressure. I mean, you know, TV shows cost a lot of money. And, you and know, it's quick. It, our, yeah. our days are, our episodes are quick. It's... I used to get so scared on on parks. Like every Monday's new episode. Yeah. That chain that train is yes. chugging on Monday morning and I that's it. There's yeah. no, you know, one hour I always felt like, oh, we have the weekend because it was like yeah. a 9 day something and of you course. could catch up a little. Not on half hours. Not on half hours. But I kind of love that. Now yeah. when someone calls me to ask me to do something that's longer and I'm like three and a half weeks on yeah. one thing. <laughs> Now on Veep, yeah. we had nine day yes. episodes this last this last season, and I did. I remember saying to you, "I'm sick of looking yeah. at you." Yeah, <laughs> so usually you're, like, you're still here. Everybody's in and out, and yeah. it happened with every director there because it was like, "Wow, you, you're still here!" Like, oh, we over. you got another scene to shoot? <laughs> yeah. My lord! Oh man! But remember those episodes that ended up being thirty something minutes on the air were. Yeah. An hour or something of shooting. Yeah, 30, yeah. 30, 30 minutes cut. Yeah. 24 minutes aired, yeah. I think, <laughs> probably. Um, let's go back a little bit. How did you start? How did you start? I uh, went to college um, at University of Maryland, and at the time they had this major within their communications department called radio, television, and film. It was basically their communications. And I 
minored in government and politics because I oh, grew wow. up in a house. I'm the youngest of nine. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was clearly, it was really a self-made man, you know, born to Irish immigrants. And, oh, wow. uh, you know, his first and I think only his brother went to college besides him. Um, you know, first one in his family to own a car, you know, worked all day, went to school at night, that kind of thing. American dream. And kind of, he, yeah. he really lived it and um, had an, a ridiculous work ethic and had an incredible um, passion for education. So, you know, we didn't get fancy brand new clothes and we didn't get a new car when we got our license but we got to go to whatever college we wanted and my parents paid for it which you know a better deal really uh, unbelievable better deal and (laughs) And amazing to have that for nine children yeah it was nuts yeah you know we all went to like parochial school we went to all went to you know a, a parochial you know private high school and all got to go to whatever college we wanted to, which was amazing. And because of that, I decided I can't do something fun for a living. (laughs) I'm going to go into hard news because that, you know, gives back to the universe somehow. Um, And I interned at CNN in Washington. (laughs) I didn't enjoy it at all. It's, you know, you have to have a stomach for news, and and it's amazing for the people that do it, and it's a really tough job. But, you know, when the most exciting days are when something terrible happens, right. it's it's hard. Look, I, there, are, there are so many careers that I look at the people that do them and go, God bless you because I could never do I it. I could never do it. And uh, so when I graduated from college, um, I DJed through college and did a lot of um, stuff with music. And I, um, one of my brothers was a uh, lead counsel uh at MTV Networks, and uh, he told me about a paid internship, and I applied for it, and I got it. So I started interning at MTV the summer that I graduated from college and really had no idea what I was going to do. And MTV was like going to graduate school um, and getting paid a teeniest bit of money. Um, But back in the day, it was like the Wild West, meaning that you know, I started there in the summer of 85. They had gone on the air in 81. They didn't really make any of their own shows. They did the, the VJ segments and every once in a while did music performances. But, you know, the year after I got there was when the, the network made remote control and then we started making TV shows and nobody kind of knew what we were doing. We just kind of... You so know, did the, you start out directing? No, I started, started out, like, I started out as an intern for the summer. Mm-hmm. Then I um, I got a job working on the, the Video Prince. Music Awards that year, um, taking care of Bob Geldof and his family because they <laughs> he was winning an award for Live Aid. I was like, this, is a, this is a great job. Oh, yeah. Bob Geldof. I'm yeah. sorry. I thought you said Bobcat. <laughs> yeah, Bobcat Goldthwait. He won an award yeah. for Live Aid because yeah. he was hilarious. In it. I got very yeah. confused for a second and, and very excited. Um, I love oh, him. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, so, uh, and then I got a job being the assistant to the line producer at the studio, and I really didn't know where my direction was. My basic thing was whatever job paid me more money so I could waitress less on the weekends <laughs> and work 
work at the Gap less during right. the holidays oh so I could God. get the discount on on uh, gifts. That's the perfect holiday. Yeah, like side job. It literally, yeah. the Gap Always. was across the street on Fifty Seventh Street, and I worked there part time. Everybody got so Gap I could for Christmas. Get the discount. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of people to buy for in my family. Yeah, you it was siblings. nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I would just take whatever job, and there was. Uh, an associate director position. They trained me to do that, and I started yeah. associate directing. So and then on the job training, really, uh, it was not. It was amazing. It yeah. was. We were so lucky. It was very sink or swim. But if you could swim, but MTV, as the viewer in that time, you felt like oh, every it, it was just so cutting edge. Like it was no one, no other channel had it. Uh, there was only twenty channels. Yes, but no other channel had this. And it was freedom. It was, and it was nuts because, you know, your bosses were 30 years old. You were 23, and right. the, you know, the vice president of your department was 30, and they were creative, and they, you know, um, and there were a lot of women that were in charge uh, mm-hmm. at MTV. Judy McGrath and Marcy Brofman were there when I started, and Doug Herzog was um, a big executive for, for me many years, but they were all you know, just a little bit older than you, but they were unbelievably creative. They were willing to take chances. Mm-hmm. And that network, when you look at it early on, this there was so much, uh, it was very stylized. You know, it was the very graphics, cutting edge. The graphics, I remember. Yeah. I just remember the graphics coming at yeah, you. Yeah, the promos were always you. so cool. Yeah. You know, we tried to do different stuff with the shows. So it was, it was the greatest time in the world to be there, and I learned so much. You eventually directed MTV Unplugged. Yes. And um, the like defining one is Nirvana. Yeah. It's the, uh, to me, it sort of like captures that era so perfectly. His outfit, his mm. hair, his voice, mm-hmm. a young Dave Grohl. Yeah. And uh, when you would direct those episodes, did you have any input of what the sets would be because I know that they were kind of all the same it's the big like unplugged sort of room yes there was you know when we started basically the set design was based on budget to begin with usually Um, we did yeah (laughs) Yeah. exactly and it was in the round the first few we did we did in the MTV studio um, the first couple seasons and then as it got bigger and you know, I think when, once Don Henley did the show, it became its own beast, and then a bunch of people wanted to do it, and Eric Clapton. Yeah, and, I mean, Tears in Heaven. Uh, uh, isn't that amazing? Is etched in my mind. Yeah. Uh, and I would, I cried. Yeah. I, I know I cried, and I watched it last night, and I cried again. Yeah, my friend Milt directed uh, that uh, episode, and it was unbelievable. And those episodes catapulted that show to be something, um, you know. A much bigger thing, but uh, there was the production designer Tom McPhillips. It, it was soft goods, things that you could light and you could change the look depending upon what okay. the song was. And then each artist, if they wanted something specific, you know, you would enhance the set based on that. And you know, the the Nirvana Unplugged was definitely, um, you know, inspired by Kurt, and it was definitely led by Kurt and Kurt. Mm-hmm. Kurt wanted all those lilies on the mm-hmm. set, and um, you know he uh, he definitely inspired. You know he he was an, a true artist, and he knew yeah. what he wanted to present. Right. So. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it it's a weird thing because 
of you think of I'm getting off here, but he, he like uh, you knew he was depressed. Mm-hmm. Like he, as as a fan, we mm-hmm. all knew like this guy's going through something. But the lilies was always like this reborn, like the mm-hmm. Jesus. Like a little I, bit of both. I just think of Easter. The candles and the lilies, yeah. yeah. And it was, and it was when I first walked out of the set. I was like, oh, this looks a little like a funeral for a friend. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But it was beautiful. Mm. You know, th- there was nothing. There was no morbid morbidness to. Yeah. the look of it look it wasn't you're right there was a rebirth feeling of it and I think a little bit um you know Kurt was kind of reinventing Nirvana with that unplugged not that it needed to be reinvented but I think he also wanted to show that there was so much more depth to sure. them musically and um it really that unplugged made them from a trio to a, you know, that was when Pat had first joined the band and they had toured a little with Pat, but that unplugged, I think there's interviews where Kurt says that unplugged really made them a cohesive four-piece band. Um, And it it was some of the most beautiful music I've ever seen. But your camera work, I mean, mean, you had like the jib and it was like, Beautifully beautiful, done, wasn't it? just beautifully done. We had really great camera people that worked on that show, and um, it was a hard show to shoot because it was in the round. Um, we did an episode um, with Tony Bennett, yeah. and he did the whole rehearsal, and everything was great. And usually the people in the back of the audience, they were they were audience, but they basically saw the backs of everybody for the whole show. Well, Tony Bennett, who was right. a true gentleman, right. when we actually shot the show, started turning around the whole show to the back of the crowd where we had no cameras. And you're not going to say, hey. No lighting, just hey, back cut, lighting. Cut, yeah. tone, yeah. really. <laughs> so we started calling that Unplugged MTV Unplugged Tony's back because literally <laughs> you see his back half of the oh, show. No. Poor guy. <laughs> it was great, though. But I, re- I mean, I remember it. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember the back of his head, but I remember it. I, and I... what a treat it was for me, who was a total, absolute huge fan of music the the rehearsals that i've been privy to and the moments that i was able the to Eagles sit and too. watch them I mean, working out yeah unbelievable hell freezes over is yeah, really, really really good i mean i i was excited about it but i'll never forget sitting it was done at warner brothers and i was sitting it was maybe like eight of us sitting in a room the first time they all got up on stage and they went to rehearse the acoustic section um, it was the first time they were all on stage, kind oh of together. God. They were in rehearsal oh rooms, God. but on a stage together. And I got goosebumps. I totally got goosies. Is that uh, one, or are there any other, like, I can't, like, a surreal moment that you've had? There's been so many. So many. Yeah. Um, I did that, uh, we did that um, 9-11, right after 9-11, we did a telethon. It wasn't the big thing in New York City that happened months later at, at uh, the Garden. It was... Uh, a small intimate thing that happened on both coasts and uh those were moments that I'll never forget um you know you're you're sitting there it's five days after the towers have fallen or seven days after the towers have fallen and uh Billy Joel comes and he goes to do New York State of Mind and one of the crew guys hands his brother's firefighter hat and says you know this was my brother's hat he died in, in 9-11, and Billy put it on his piano, and literally everyone, he's like Just singing the song, <laughs> we're all standing in the room sobbing. Um, but, you know, I've, I, you know, God bless, knock on something, wood for Micah, whatever this is, I have been yeah. truly a lucky duck. Oh, well, I think, 
I never want to. I never say I'm lucky. I say that I had enough, enough in me at the time. Timing and talent collided. Okay, I like that. Because I don't think it's not who you know; it's who remembers you. Do you know yes. What I mean? Like I don't feel like I. I feel like someone remembered me for a job, and then that's how I yes. got it. Because I like before you were saying like it. You never knew who you were going to work with that would lead to something else. Yes, and I agree with that, but. Literally, like me starting at MTV at the time that I started at MTV was just nuts. It yeah. it was definitely kismet, you know. Yeah, and then colliding. so you started out in live. Do you, and then eventually went to single camera. You mm-hmm. still do live, yeah, obviously. But do you find it hard to transition? Like, is there more freedom in one than the other? I, you know what? There's different skill set, and there's different um, things that I like about both. There is nothing like the adrenaline of live television. Um, when I left Saturday Night Live, I, I knew that there was a possibility that I wouldn't experience that high again, which I ended up doing live 30 rocks. I did the live sound of music, which was a right. whole other ball of wax. That was, that was, that's insane. You know, that, that was, was insane. Now, bonkers. Did you get to, were you in there early with, to choreograph the camera moves with the set? No, what happened was there was another um, director, director, Rob Ashford, and he was, you know, choreographed a lot of stuff um, in a, like a rehearsal space. And then I went to the rehearsal space like a month later, and started then... watching it, and then would adjust things for camera. And then we were on camera, and it was, you know, I blocked that show in like eight days. It That's was amazing. nuts. That's a, and that insane. that's another experience where I got the absolute best camera people I could get, and you know, the great lighting, great set design, great everything. You know, yeah. all fell together, and that was a beautiful show that I was really yeah. proud of. Stunning. Yeah. And then, w- is it the same kind of prep with the Super Bowl show? Do you get? No, it's different. The Super Bowl, <laughs> Super Bowl is a little nutty because you, the you know, the halftime show is a little blip of what is the Super Bowl and the the so most, people only watch the halftime show. I know, but the most <laughs> important person commercials and yeah, super, you know. Besides the teams, the mm-hmm. most important person at the Super Bowl I think is the yeah. field guy. Because he <laughs> runs everything. He lets you know where you can stand, when you can have the field, when you can't have the field. So when you rehearse the Super Bowl halftime show, you only get the field Thursday night for like six hours. And in that six hours, you need to, you have like three or 4,000 volunteers that run on and build the stage in the six minutes that you have before right. you come up on yeah. the halftime show. You have, you know, if you're doing, they used to never do like live instruments and live live vocals, and we were the first people that did that. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to make sure all that's working in six minutes. And... You get. I mean, for everything to be plugged in right. Exactly. That's no, like, it's nuts. Like it's nuts. Only one, one thing. Could one absolutely thing. Be one a mic not plugged no, in. No, it's true. And you're screwed. You don't hear that guitar. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah the singer. It's nuts. God forbid. And then you, um, you get you get a bunch of the Super Bowl cameras, and then you can bring in some of your own. So you've got camera one, and you've got camera fifty five, and it, it's it's a little nuts, and. Um, one time, and also the Super Bowl guys are listening to the truck for the Super Bowl, and then they switch their headsets, and then they can hear me. And one mm. of the Super Bowls, 
the switch was not working and it's a minute till we're live and I'm looking at our tech manager from MTV who was amazing and I'm like going, George, no one can hear me. They can't hear me. And we were like freaking out. And about 15 seconds later, it was like, <laughs> yeah. And I could hear the, cam- the camera guys, the Super Bowl camera guys going, can you hear her? I don't know. I can't hear her. All right, you well, I guess I'll just do what you. we did in rehearsal. And I was like, ah. yeah. You're so close, so, but so far away because so they can't hear you. The thing about live is there's things that you don't have control of, and that's amazing, and it's also terrifying. Yeah. So um, with single camera, you have so much more control of what you're doing. Right. But it's a different pace, and it's a different style. And, you know, uh, directing a show like Saturday Night Live where you're giving notes on performances and blocking and stuff, and then when you're there live, you just hope that everybody hits their mark and everybody knows their lines and everybody does everything the way you gave them the notes. Whereas when you're doing single camera, you know, you, you go cut and go yeah. in and change it a little bit. And and I love both. It's yeah. I'm really lucky that I can do both yeah. and I mean, swim in and out of it. You bounce in and out of it so fluently. I, <laughs> so. I bounce around a little bit, yeah. Uh, I, I wonder on uh, SNL, did you have any input of where the skits would be? Because I know it's center yeah, stage. Yeah, a lot. You did, yeah. So what happens is the show gets picked on Wednesday night and after you do a big table read. And you pick more sketches than what get on the air. Mm-hmm. And then the first thing you have to do once those sketches are picked, you know, I sit in the meeting and I start looking around and there's a, if there's a sketch that has four sets and there's a set with a hot tub in it where you can't move that set because when you go to Saturday Night Live and I don't know if anyone experiences it but if you get an opportunity to it's one of the most amazing things to watch because of what happens behind the scenes I saw that video they had out a couple years ago yeah. of them building a set no, and taking it down literally they build like, a set in a minute yeah, amazing they it's it's the crew on that show they're Tight. insane. Tight. They're so amazing. I miss all the people that work at that show because they're all amazing at what they do. And when you go to do something quickly somewhere else, you realize how right. much you miss them right. because right. they're Like, I got a guy ridiculous. in New York that could get this yeah. going. Yeah, yeah. I got a, I got people in New York that yeah. can change Daryl Hammond from Bill Clinton to Jesse Jackson yeah. in four and a half minutes. You know? Yeah. It's that kind of thing. So um, it's an experience to watch. And so the first thing I have to do is figure out what sets have to have a home because they can't be moved around, what sets can be built where, what, uh, you know, there's certain, there's certain sketches and performances that you really want front and center in the audience. So there's a home base set, but it's very shallow. So you have to figure out what you can actually do there. You can do like some talk show stuff there. there you know, so you have to kind of, that's, that's an art in itself yeah, and a thing that a you just figure out. It's a dance, yeah. you know. Um, Especially, I would think, too, with your cameras. Yeah. Like, well, if I, I'm assuming like the front stage, you probably only have so many cameras in that. Well, word. you can, but, you know, it, it is that thing where you have to have enough, you know, you have five cameras on that show and that's it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And those guys are amazing too, and they are swinging around and running for it. Sometimes, you know, you're they're losing their last light and going to another set because they have to do an insert of somebody else that's on the other side of the studio. I mean, it's that's... it can be crazy, and you know, there are a couple times where you have to go uncle, like 
we can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> or we can't do this without a piece of tape in the middle of it or an exterior of a house to give me five seconds to get a camera to swing to go somewhere and else. And that's discussed with you too. Like, yes. Like, oh, we'll do a pre-tape here. We'll all do that stuff. Yeah. It all gets managed between Wednesday night when the first thing I do when I leave the meeting once the show gets picked, there's a meeting in Lauren's office and the show gets picked, I go into the design room and I sit with the production designers and we decide where we're going to put everything. Mm -hmm. And then the writers come in and they kind of produce their own pieces. And then it's talking about what the set should look like. The costumes are in there, makeup's in there. We talk about, and then then I go home that night and go over all the sketches. And then the next morning you're in a meeting going, I need a shot of a house here. We need to pre-tape this person because there's no way that we can do, you know, so it's... I would think the battle between like makeup and hair or wardrobe being like, you could put that up next to all you want, but I can't get six cast members dressed and or like another. Like, you know what? You never say never on that show. That's well, what's no. so nuts about it. But I'm sure it's, yes. it comes up of like, uh, can we have something in the middle so we it, don't have It's to crazy do that or... though. But I mean, literally, you know, there'll be a week where a writer writes a sketch where it's all our cast being oversized Peanuts characters and on. <laughs> it's cast, you know, it's picked Wednesday night. And on Saturday, there are these, like, paper mache heads with perfect Oh, it's perfect insane. Co- the costumes on that show, uh, to me, is always, like, amazing. And, amazing. you know, also with the sets, which you'll love to hear, you know, we do a dress rehearsal Saturday night at 8 o'clock at night. And the set could have wallpaper on it and when we shoot it during the dress rehearsal and be painted for a the, different for color. The, for the vibe. Yeah. 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 It's still wet. Changes are made. <laughs> oh yeah, that quickly. <laughs> that's amazing. That's it's crazy. I don't know if I could. I could do it, but I would. I I would have an ulcer. I think. I, I would, don't I think I'm probably gone. I know I can't prove this, but I probably will not live as long as I. It took a couple years. Should have. Couple months. Yeah. Couple years. At least a few months. Veep took some time off my life. Yeah. I okay. <laughs> yeah. I know it. I yeah. know it. Uh, there's a lot of crying in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crying it out. Singing Mariah on the way home. Yes. Getting it out. And then you're just back. Yeah. This is what it is. Yeah. But you know what? When the final product is what it is, you go. Yeah. It's so, uh, I couldn't, I think that's, I don't, I don't think I'll ever have anything better than Beep, to be quite oh honest. I gotta be honest. It's just it was nuts. A, it was my favorite show. Yeah. I got to work on it. I know. It was a dream and, and it was so hard yeah. So so brutally hard sometimes, and really beat us down as in our departments and and everyone else. But it the product when you watch it, I can't believe it's over. I oh, know it makes those me episodes really sad. went so fast. They did. And uh, but yeah, I kind of like I'm like oh, I don't know. That's a that's a peak that I I don't know if I would ever have again. But that's okay. Because, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's okay. That's okay to have that experience, and also that. So, so soon from it, you can appreciate it for what it was, yeah. too. You, I find working with you, you're so practical in, like, any requests from the sets or the designer or what we need from props and everything. And do you ever get to a set and think, this isn't going to work? Do you, in your mind, think, do I change anything because of the sets? Or do I ask for it to be changed? I think every once in a while there's something where when you're on a show, you know, being an episodic TV director has certainly helped me with that a lot because you go to different shows every week yeah. and or every couple weeks and, you know, the show is the show. You're the wrench thrown in. So you have to, 
you know, the first thing is the show needs to look like the show. And then after that, yeah. whatever you can add to it and try to make better, that's that's yeah. your job too. But your first job is to make sure the show is still the show. And yeah, sometimes things are done where you're like, yeah, really? Okay. And then you try to make it work. But Don't talk about me like that. But <laughs> SNL gave me a lot of those skills because, you know, we were reblocking sketches sometimes between dress and air. So I, I don't I don't get thrown for a loop too much because no, I learned early on to adjust because I feel, especially with comedy, comedy is a group effort. Comedy at its best is teamwork. I think um, I think best idea always wins. I don't care who had it. Um, and uh, because of that, I feel like it's so collaborative that I learned very early on how to adjust and think of other ways to make things work. Yeah. It is uh, even, it, I feel like even if I had a week to prepare, there's still those moments of like, we gotta change this. Yeah. And, and sometimes you have five minutes to prepare and you nailed it. Yeah. Or, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always, you're always sort of kept on your toes here because it is, if an idea comes up on set and now we want to do this or now we want to shoot over here, okay. Yeah. You know, you got to be prepared. And I also think with a show like this, like The Good Place, it really comes from the mind of Mike. Yes. So um, your prep is so important because... And because you've worked with him multiple times and worked with this team multiple times, you can kind of, you you, can, you know, you you're making the right choices sometimes, yeah. but sometimes I'm sure, oh, I yeah. mean, I've had the same thing where I've sat in a tone meeting and I'm like, oh, and they're doing this, right? And he's like, oh no, the yeah. intention is that. Well, like Because yesterday. in three episodes, <laughs> no, but they're like, but in three episodes, this is what's going to happen to this character. I'm like, oh, Okay, now yeah, I get it. Now you get it. And you know, you feel a little bit like yeah. a dumb dumb, but then then you're yeah. like, how how would I know that? You know, you people interpret things the way they interpret them. Like yesterday, I got a bigger than expected table <laughs> uh, for a character, and I uh, oh, I was it was bigger. It wasn't huge. No, but you did. <laughs> but I took a note. Yes. <laughs> that I heard in a meeting. You did. And, and I, you went with it. And then I fixed it. Yeah. And I and it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. It worked out beautifully last night. See? And I wouldn't have gotten that little table. Yes. I think a little now. Yeah. If, uh, if that hadn't happened. Yeah. So it, it, it worked out. If you, if you could be a part of anything, even in the past, if it was like Gone with the Wind or anything, yeah. is there anything that you would have liked to have directed or think in the future? I would love to, one of my favorite genres of movies growing up were those John Hughes kind of movies, the movies that were super funny, but they were poignant and sweet, Mm -hmm. and the anti-hero, and they could be broad and nutty, but also super grounded. Um, I would love a script like that to jump in my lap. you know, there are multiple shows that growing up made me such a big fan of comedy. And if I could have directed an episode of Mary Tyler Moore, hell yeah, I would have yeah. done that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of shows. One of my, you know, you know, I, 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 I would love to, I don't do drama, but there's certain shows. If like I got to direct an episode of Mad Men or an episode of The Sopranos or an episode of Homeland or yeah. one of those really cool dramas that I love, I I would totally love to do a show like that um, and have that experience. But uh, I got I have 
as far as when I was working in that genre, I definitely got to do some of the coolest stuff yes. in that genre. When I worked at MTV, it was the greatest place to work, and I was a music head, and I got to direct almost every single one of my favorite bands and work with incredible comedians, and that's where I met Jon Stewart, and he is a genius <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And then I went to Saturday Night Live at a time where it was a creative... Uh, haven for women so I was really proud of that because Tina Fey was the head writer that eventually, eventually but I started with you know a whole new cast and it was Will Ferrell who I mean God I never bless, heard of him. Uh, and also terrible and not funny and yeah. a terrible human being yeah. he's like the yeah. most lovely <laughs> wonderful amazing and so talented every cast member I worked with while I, while I was there was amazing and you know Sherry and Molly were big stars and Anna and then Tina and Amy and you know I had a very long relationship with Tina who I absolutely love and adore and Amy but you know I worked a ton with Tina and Robert Carlock and you know the opportunities I got working on a show like 30 Rock yeah. and um you know Alec and oh I wanted to ask you do you have a different vibe because you've directed uh, an abundance of uh, 30 Rock and then uh, abundance of uh Modern Family is the vibe different because it's a different coast. I mean, I think there's a, de- a def- definitely different vibe working in LA versus New York. But you know, funny is funny to me, and uh, both those shows are extremely well written, unbelievably well acted. Yeah. Uh, you know, incredibly produced. I mean, they were just they're both just quality high, and you know, you got to experience it, and I got to experience it a couple times on Parks and Rec too. Yeah. You know. Um, you know, it starts with amazing scripts, and yeah. then it continues with amazing casts, and then it, it continues with amazing production people surrounding it. And when you have those opportunities, you just want to do it more and more. And I feel like when you do many episodes of a show, for me, you know, you feel like you're part of the, the yeah. show a little bit, so oh, yeah. you feel a little more comfortable just going in and asking questions and and you know when I go do the first episode of a show I don't run to the showrunner and be like hey wouldn't it be great if we did this here and can we change that and because you know it's their show and I'm a guest and I you know try to make the show as good as I can possibly make it but um, when I'm more familiar and I've been around the show more I definitely feel like I can put a little more of my stamp on it because I feel like uh, I have a comfort level to be able to go hey, wouldn't it be great if we did this? Right. You know, you um, directed the Galentine's Day. I know. And now it's like an unofficial holiday. I love How it. How amazing is that? I know. And you know what? I didn't do that many Parks and Recs, but the ones I that I did you got that one. were End the Banquet, the first season, which right. was amazing. And I did, you, did you know, Le- the last season I did Leslie, Leslie Moran. And yes. that, you know, Mike Shore wrote, and yeah. it, and I mean Nick and Amy. Oh my God, yeah, they were you got amazing good in that episode. Um, so yeah, no, I'm super duper lucky. And Valentine's Day was just that like warms my heart every year. I know. And I I get like oh, I can't believe I was sort of a part of that. Like, I know. <laughs> it's crazy. I know. I have I... nothing to do with it really except for like the. That's not true. But it's it's very like inspiring. Yes. And and leads to what a good group. Mike puts around him. Oh yeah, 
that it just and it puts out there that always it, it, it always starts from the top and I've been really lucky to work with incredibly funny amazingly talented people who happen to be lovely oh, human nice. beings as That's well good. I mean come on I would uh, be first in line to buy a book if you ever wrote one <laughs> of Saturday Night Live because <laughs> I am partly obsessed. I wish I could listen to stories and stories <laughs> for hours about that because I will say I have seen every episode of SNL since wow. the late 80s. That's amazing. I TVO'd it. I used to VHS it. I, I've i never missed an episode. It's an institution. And the thing about it is, you know, when I first started there, I was sick to my stomach every day, and it was a whirlwind tour. And, you know, the first time you do the show, you do the dress rehearsal and then the show. It's not like you do it. practice shows. Was, I looked, was your first show Chevy Chase? No, it was oh. Marielle Hemingway oh. and Blues oh. Traveler. And because I saw that, and I was like, oh, my God, I would die. <laughs> like my first show, even being on anything, was Chevy Chase coming back into the mix. Oh no, it was Mariel Hemingway. Me. But, but enjoy this. I hate being on camera more than anything in the world. <laughs> hate it. So they wrote a monologue where Mariel Hemingway, you know, because she's famous because she was in that uh, personal Stark. best movie, and she had kissed Roseanne like uh, the year before, or two years before. Oh, right. So she hosted the show and they wrote this funny monologue where she's introducing a whole new cast and she kind of breezes past all the guys who she's super beautiful and they're yeah. all like goo-goo-eye about her and she's really into all the girls. <laughs> and then she comes in the control room, introduces me and kisses me. Nice. Yeah, on the lips. First. She's a great kisser. But um, literally my first show I'm directing, <laughs> sick to my stomach, freaking out. I have to be on camera and kissed and by Marielle Hemingway. Which, you know. It's not bad. That is not That's bad. not a bad day, man. You, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> it could be worse. Um, but yeah, so uh, that, I, but I would say like six months into the show, like January or February, I have a moment on the 17th floor is where, you know, the offices are and then the 8th floor is where we shoot the show. And there's all these pictures. I mean, the show is historic. All the I black mean, and they white. They have black and whites yeah. of every cast member that's ever been on the show. And then they have these all these photos of like classic sketches. And you, I walked around the hallway one day. I, I think it was like kind of the end of January or the beginning of February. And I had that moment where I was like, holy blank. Yeah. I cannot believe I work here. Right. <laughs> like yeah. what is going on this is nuts and then you have that moment where like is someone gonna figure out i'm a fraud right right you know you just i have that every day yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but you do and it, it it is so much bigger than and now anything. all the sets and and the like skits that you did are on that hallway i mean yeah. what a chunk you cool. have which is amazing kind of cool it's yeah. really it's really amazing you yeah. know it is Thank you. You have to go to set now. You're welcome. I have to go to set and work yes. and make sure that the right table's there. No, I'm yes. kidding. Yes. No. Just okay. don't touch it. It might. I'm not going to touch it. It did might... break once. Did it? Oh, sorry. No, they went to yeah. move it and the top Stop. came off. Hey, I warned people. I, I know. know. I had to make a table. Yeah, right? but you did a great job. Yeah. And it looks right. amazing. And it was perfect. Do you know what I did? It's mirrored. And I covered it. Oh, you covered I it. I was on my hands and knees for oh, 20 minutes. Damn. Then I had help because then my guy, my crew saw me on my hands and he's black taping it because I was like, oh my God. I got to get this done. Oh no. No. But you did a great job and it was an awesome table. And 
you saw it. Did Ted like it? it That's all I care. Ted no, Danson, Ted. America's <laughs> Treasure. Love that table. Yeah. He wants, actually, I got a note. He wants to bring it home. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. You are so welcome. Thanks I for having me. I absolutely love working with you, and I'm in, always in awe of you. and I'm going to miss you, and I hope I we know. find something soon together to do. I know, I know. We will. All our shows that we do together are gone. Right? I know. What's that say? We're Bigger show killers? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I like to finish them out. I hear you. I like you to gotta go. you got to take them to the finish line. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. I'm in. <laughs> thank you. Right, you're welcome. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode. Beth is uh, so nice and so sweet and so witty and a pleasure to work with. Always so into it on set and just really fun to be around. And one of the nicest people that I've met in this business. She's, it's been a pleasure and absolute pleasure to work with her. I can't, I really can't say more except where we do share a psychic. That's another podcast, but we do. That's uh, that's a good story. Maybe one day I'll, I'll get around to it. Thank you for joining me. I hope you got an earful. I'm Kim Wanup for Decorating Pages. If you want to be up to date about our podcast schedule, please visit decoratingpagespodcast.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Decorating Pages is sponsored by Stogie Floaty, luxury pool floats. Load them if you got them. Visit stogiefloaty.com.